This is episode 107 with Todd McCullough. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and your personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with Todd, founder of TMAC Fitness and former University of Florida standout football player. Todd believes that when we move our bodies and connect to our spiritual practice, we not only have the opportunity to improve our own lives, but also the lives of those around us and who we love. We tried that out firsthand. I met up with Todd to run some beach sprints, swim and meditate on the beach before we dove into this impactful conversation. He practices what he teaches and you'll see that today. So let's dive into it with Todd. All right, Todd. First and foremost, thanks for welcoming us into your home here in beautiful Santa Barbara. It's first time up here and I am not surprised why you moved away from LA. <laughs> it's a good place to call home. I appreciate you guys uh, coming on up. Yeah, man. Thanks for, I, thanks for crushing me in the in the sprints and the swim this morning. You know, I, I got to do something to, to make me feel good. I think... Uh, <laughs> it, it's good for us old folks to work out with you young guys that makes us... Uh, keeps us young. <laughs> As I say, you were, you were saying all day that you weren't, you weren't a great swimmer, but I was blown away by just your technique is is solid man it was fun to kick it in the water with you for a little bit too have you ever seen that like 90 year old hit a golf ball like his swing is all right the ball just doesn't go very far (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like me in the water it's all right it's all right obviously if you threw me on the football field uh it would be a way different story so well if i flew on the football field right now too i'd be a bad situation (laughs) let's just say i am not open to being tackled by you right now. So yeah. I appreciate you going into my comfort zone in the ocean today. <laughs> it's, it's, the ocean's a special place. I love it. I love it, dude. Well, let's dive into your upbringing and, and your background. Obviously, football was your, yeah, your no, sport. There wasn't a lot of swimming options. <laughs> in North Florida, though, I mean, that's pretty prevalent sport down well, there. So I think there's a distinction, right? Like we talked about, I got a chance to go play football at that private school in Jacksonville, Bowles, which has the one of the world's best swimming programs. But I grew up in a little small town called Baker County, mm. which was an hour from Bowles. So I had to live there on Bowles, at Bowles my freshman year. Um, and it's small rural town, um, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, you kind of had three options. It was fa- baseball, football, basketball. Um, I chose football. Like that was really the only sports you had and you either got good at those or really good at hunting and fishing. And my parent, my dad and brother got into the hunting and fishing and I did more of the football. So that was really all you knew. Um, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, if I raise kids, I heard in California, I was like, I don't even know if my kids would play football. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, there's so many more options. I was like, you could play volleyball, you could swim, you could play tennis. Like we grew up, like football was just your way out. Mm. Did you view it as this like upward mobility? I loved thing, it, man. Or? I mean, I I loved playing football. Uh, I grew up in, like I said, a small little rural environment. I was like the the one of two white kids living in like the all black neighborhood, mm. and you know that was what we played. And like out of bounds was the concrete, and I got baptized on that over and over. And eventually, I got beat up on enough that I was eventually the bigger guy as I grew up and was able to kind of be on the other side of that. Yeah. What, what drew you towards like linebacker and defensive side of the ball? I think there's a certain innate, like, look, I, I, I say this humbly, like when I say warrior gene, right? Like if, if you put me in a, in a ring with a UFC fighter, I'd get my ass worked, right? But there's still that gene in football players, specifically linebackers and defensive guys. Like, look, you have guys running 40 yards, full speed, elite athletes and smashing into one another. Most people don't like that idea. Mm-hmm. 
I'm one of those people. That doesn't sound appealing to me. I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, that was just something I think that as a young man, uh, there's a certain part of our culture that I'm actually kind of worried about today is that you need that physical outlet. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think that like if I had a kid today, like I may put him in jujitsu or something, maybe not football. Um, but there's a certain part of especially men that need some aggression outlet. That's boxing, football, hockey, whatever that is. And I had that, like on the outside demeanor, I'm a pretty calm, nice guy, but there's that fire inside. It's just the McCullough gene. You know, my father's that way, my brother's that way, all the people on the, on the McCullough side are that way. And you need to bust heads sometimes. And I think one of the, you know, a lot of your work is that transition. Mm. And one of the struggles I've seen for myself and a lot of my teammates in football, we talked about actually, I got guys doing life in prison right now that I played football with that were overall pretty good dudes. Um, but you don't know where to take that emotion, those emotions past the playing field. Like running into someone full speed and putting your face on someone and being violent, like really violent works really well on the football field. Mm. But then how are you to turn that fucking off when you go home? When your wife or your girlfriend's yelling at you or someone's beeping the horn at you, flipping you off at the red light, how do you turn that off? Because turning that on helps you on the football field. And I think that a lot of the work that I've done over the years through yoga and through meditation has been able an outlet to kind of be able to harness that type of energy and, and rage, so to speak, at times and being able to be the observer in a situation mm. and come back into the body. And it's been life-changing for me. Um, and I hope that this type of work can start to reach younger athletes out there. Yeah, I love that idea of turning it on and turning it off too. Like, I think especially for the higher level athlete in these hyper-aggressive sports, right? It's, I always think of this analogy of, remember in middle school when you would twist up those water bottles and like, you'd yeah. get that pressure really, really tight and then you'd pop it off the top and it'd go skyrocketing across the cafeteria. Um, I think that's a lot of our emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Like we need a steady release of that emotion. And yep. in this case, like this aggression and just this ability to honor all parts of ourselves. Yep. I and mean, I think as a society, there's this stigma around like Obviously, you can't be violent right. <laughs> walking walking down the street. So we struggle to realize, like, okay, well, what ways can I constructively release this emotion and express this part of who I am? Football is a beautiful thing because it offers that opportunity. What have you found in those years post Florida and understanding, like, how can I release and honor this part of who I am? Yep. Because it is part of your identity and yep. it should be released. How have you found ways to do it? Because people listening might hear the yoga meditation. They're like, well, how the hell is that like right. a release? Yeah. I, I got sure. Like I said, there wasn't any swimming growing up. The damn sure wasn't any yoga and meditation where I grew up. <laughs> um, if you'd have told me I'd have been teaching yoga and doing meditation 10 or 15 years ago, I'd have fucking laughed at you. Uh, if you, People always laugh right now back home thinking of it. Um, so I started to feel after Florida because – you grew up in this athletic environment where you're lifting weights, you're hitting people all the day. So you get the, most of that aggression out. Mm -hmm. And then again, what happens when you, you eventually hang up the cleats and then what do you do with that aggression? And then myself and a lot of other guys I played, like I had five surgeries from football and even in my, my mid, by my time I was in my mid to late twenties, I just woke up in pain, my mm -hmm. back, my knees, my shoulder. And I would go to the gym at five something in the morning and, you know, before I go into the office at work at Merrill Lynch, we talked about, 
And I just knew I couldn't, my body just hurt. I was aching. I didn't know what I could do. And luckily I stumbled, I ended up moving to LA years later and stumbled into a yoga class. And that was the first time that I could sweat and not hurt. Mm. My body, my spine felt longer. My hips felt good. My shoulders felt good. And I became like, I was like, this is it. I was like, I may not be as big or as strong as I used to be, but I was like, I can do this. And it makes me feel more, more me. I could get that stress out. And that was like a good yoga practice. Um, and that was kind of the, the first tool for me, but it was something that was so needed. Like even to this day, like I don't like, don't talk to me like, or anyone who stays over, like until I've already moved my body and meditated. Right. So like even before today, y'all drove up, I did a 12 minute yoga sequence, did a little breath, did a little meditation. I just have to start my day with some sort of movement and connection mm-hmm. because I've got this built up in me uh, that needs. And I think one of the things that, again, I worry today is that you take like recess away from kids. Like if you'd have taken recess away from me, I'd have been a horrible student, right? Like you need, like especially athletes, you need to get that out of your system and you've got to figure out a way to do it now where people aren't paying you to do it. So it has Mm. to fit around your wife, your kids, your job. Um, And that's kind of the, you know, the work and the program that we ended up building was like, how do I take what I knew as an athlete and merge it with yoga uh, into a program that everyday people can do? And that's kind of how the business was built. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful, right? Because I think a lot of the struggle in that transition period for people is because we were so used to this two, three hour workout sequence, right? Like I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure the, the workout regimen and and workload while at Florida, I mean, you guys were perennial powerhouse, especially during that time that you were there um, being contenders for national titles and everything. It's like, how do you unwire that want and desire to train for two, three hours when you start to add in the corporate jobs, the family life and all this. And that's what I love about what you've built with TMAC Fitness and everything is you're showing people that it doesn't need to be two to three hours. It can be 20 minutes. And even when you're just really intentional with those 20 minutes, it can be life-changing. Well, and I think so much of it, look, it took a long time. It was a something I've been working on for over 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do we go about helping? Like I try to explain, because we grew up, on, you know, being an athlete, I was on a 6,000 calorie a day diet, <laughs> right? Majority of carbohydrates. And I remember going back years ago and trying to explain to them all my football buddies. I'm like, hey, I'm like, believe it or not, moving to a, a whole foods, high fat, less carb diet mm. works really well with short hit training. And because the number one excuse you hear all the time when you're working with clients, again, because they have the job, they have the kids, they don't have time for the three-hour training. Like you, ne- you never want a dad to choose between going to his kid's soccer game and then going to the gym. Go mm. to your kid's fucking soccer game, right? That's more, that's more important. But what I found is if, if I give people a 20-minute home workout they can do with no equipment, short and fast – right? And I can help them do a 16 hour fast that we talked about earlier. I can have them walk throughout the day on their lunch break, right? And then if I can eat, have them eat a whole foods diet, they can get pretty damn good results from that. And it fits into their lifestyle and they don't have to choose anymore between, again, fitting their, their needs to provide for paying their mortgage at work mm-hmm. and then training three hours. Because if you're training three hours, you have kids, 
and you, like, you actually want to be home to make love to your wife every now and then, like you're sacrificing somewhere. Maybe it's sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And we've now know that if you're getting less than seven to nine hours of sleep at night, you can throw away all the food you're eating and the workouts you're doing, right? That it's horrible for you. So I think again, is having people reframe that you don't have three hours anymore to train. So you have to switch your diet. You have to switch your training style. You have to switch your mindset. And that's kind of the work that I've been trying to do is give people the tools to what I always say that my formula is to move and connect every morning mm-hmm. before you look at social media, before you look at emails. And I think that's the biggest benefit we give people. Yeah, I love that approach. And what I'm really hearing there is I think when you're in that formal sport environment, it's this either or mindset a lot of the times, right? Like you were always filtering things of like, well, I can either go to the bar on Saturday night or I could perform well on game day Saturday. And it's like, that's a no brainer. You know what your, your quote unquote job was at the time. What I'm hearing with kind of your approach, a lot of the times it's this. And also like there's this freedom that, and also mindset provides you, you start to realize like, oh, I can have my cake and eat it too. And I, I can do a little bit of everything. And when you find ways to be really efficient in these certain areas, like a hit training, like making it body weight, like making it super intentional with the mindfulness piece of it, you start to realize like, man, why, like, why not take this approach? Like, I don't need to dedicate my life to moving my body to still feel good. And that's what I love about the, the freedom that your approach provides people. Yeah. And I always say like going back to like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Right. Like you want, so we used to perform for a physical goal, right? Mm-hmm. For you swimming to, to win a race, right. For me to win a football game, the goal shifted now, right. For me working out at this stage in life is to put myself in a positive mindset so I can show up as my best and serve my community. Well, what does that look like? Well, I need to be in a positive mindset. What helps me in a positive mindset? Moving my body, connecting my spiritual practice daily. Okay, well, I got to work a lot of hours. You're an entrepreneur. What time do you have? Everyone's got 20 minutes first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. There's literally no excuses. Get your ass up 20 minutes early. Sweat. Take a few moments to connect to your spiritual practice. And then you'll actually find you're more productive in your day. I liked that piece too of being proactive, right? Of putting it in, in the morning. And I, I get some people aren't morning people, but there is something to be said. And you touched on it earlier, which I love is jumping into this before you jump into the emails, before you jump into the social media, because whether we know it or not, when we start to open up that can of worms, next thing we know, I mean, how quickly does 20 minutes on Instagram and TikTok go by? Like, it's every, like that. It's every, so quick. Everyone that says they don't have time to work out, I'm like, look at your social media apps. See how long you spend on there a day. I was talking to a client the other day and they were saying that they don't have time to work out. They can't find time. And we look at their social media app. They spent 30 minutes in the morning mm. on the social media. And so I look at like the mental health side of right now. And there's some interesting studies coming out right now, but we're talking about like, we don't know what we don't know. And we look back at like our grandparents in the 70s, 60s and 70s are smoking on airplanes and they're doing all this. They're like, what idiots? How stupid is that? I have no doubt that our kids and their kids are going to look back at us and the way we look at our phones and social media mm. as the mental like, side of this is just horrible for you. So you have a chance every morning, I always say, to program your mind for positivity or to stress. What is going to fill your cup? 
what's well, going to take away, especially right now, the, all the political environments and everything that's going on, you open up that phone and you start checking emails and social media, it's going to program you most likely for negativity. Mm. Or you can do something that fills your cup. And then when you fill your cup first thing, if you're a father out there, if you're a mother, you can provide more to your spouse. You can show up better for your kids. You can be more productive at work. And so I think that if you can own your morning, you truly can't own your day. I'm just, I'm starting to laugh. It's like, what a unique problem to have, right? Like our, our biggest problem these days with this generation is the freaking device that has made so, much, so many of these things possible. Like I'm sitting here because of the social media and the phone yep. because that's how we got connected. And I think it really becomes this piece of like, how are you using these devices? What is the intention behind it? Yep. And I think when, to your point, if you fill up your own cup first, it makes it easier than to be proactive and set an intention to go into, how am I going to use this? Rather than it just being this subconscious program of, well, my alarm's on my phone. Mm-hmm. So, Immediately, it's in my hand because I have to turn it off. And then, I mean, subconsciously, it's this program, right? Like we unlock the phone and then all of a sudden, I'm 30 seconds into starting my day and I'm already checking how many comments and likes did I receive overnight? What DMs came through? How did you break that habit or was that ever a a problem for you? So again, this has been a working journey and look, I'm 38 right now and I'm hoping at 48, I'll be able to give some more insights to this. <laughs> um, I always, so to back up, like I, I came in, it goes back to my faith to start with. I came to know Jesus Christ when I was 12 years old and every morning and every night, I would say almost every day here and there, I may miss one day a year. I'd start my morning praying and end my day praying. Mm. Um, but to looking, so I had that built in foundation of getting on my knees every morning and, and praying. The reality is even with good intentions, I was half-assing it. I was like mm-hmm. half awake. I was, you know, so I had that part going. And then I also, as an athlete, I always had trained early in the morning. So that part was in me as well, but they were disconnected. And so for me, again, going back, so I had those things kind of in my favor, but then I was like, all right, how can I be more intentional with this? Uh, and where I'm at right now. And what I found was, again, going back to the why is I think we all have God-given gifts and my gifts are to help inspire people and to give them tools to move and connect. So how can I move and connect? And I found a way to move on my mat with after studying yoga for a decade with these 20-minute workouts and then connecting to my spiritual practice right there on the mat. So what mm-hmm. we talked about, James Clear has a great book called Atomic Habits. He, he calls it habit stacking. Mm-hmm. So what I found is that I knew I could shock my body with movement real quick. I knew I wanted to connect to my spiritual practice. But if you try to do, at least what I found is so TM meditation, typically 20 minutes. So if you're like, you got to do this meditation, it'll change your life. Well, you also need to work out. You also need to eat healthy. You also need to X, Y, Z. People get overloaded. Mm -hmm. So what you do is what I found is you habit stack it. So start with the movement put your yoga mat out, go for 20 minutes and then do the meditation right immediately afterwards. Just like we did on the beach. It takes four minutes, four Mm -hmm. or five minutes. And so that you have it, stack it. So start with one habit and then stack one right afterwards. And that way you always say the best workout you do, the best meditation you do is the one you consistently do. There's nothing special about our workouts. I mean, I think they're really good, but you can get great results going for a trail run. You can get great results going for a swim, whatever, Mm -hmm. going to the gym, but you have to be consistent. 
And you have to make sure that movement and mindfulness meet you where you are right now in life. And that's changed now when your primary job isn't to be a, a, a collegiate swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of the meditation on the beach was like, hopefully you're not shivering the whole time like I was <laughs> trying to it's sit good through mind that, control. Right? That was, cold. That was um, cold. That's a phenomenal practice. And it got me thinking like, man, maybe I need to do a little bit more of this. Um, I've been doing cold plunges and that's been a great practice of just how can I laser focus my mind when I'm in this extreme environment? Because like, I think that translates so well to all these other areas of life. And I think that's the superpower that a lot of these high level elite athletes have, right? Is like, you were able to hyper focus your mind to perform in freaking the, the toughest of environments, right? Like how many, Seats does Florida Stadium so have? We, we usually have like ninety three thousand, <laughs> just a stands. small crowd. Yeah, there. A couple, <laughs> yeah, and you know, you go to UT, they have like one ten. Um, yeah, I mean, it's and it was interesting. Like you'd always have guys that we call practice players, right? Mm-hmm. They look great in practice, and in that game, the headlights come on, deer and headlights. Uh, it takes a special amount of focus to do that. How did you learn to cultivate that focus in those environments? I was always prepared. Like I was never the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, but I watched a ton of film. I worked in state after worked on my technique. Um, and so that when it came game day, I don't know. I just always, no matter the, the person ahead of me was always a Jersey number, mm-hmm. right? So I was fortunate to play against, like I played Sam linebacker, like over the tight end. And I played against a lot of great, you know, hall of fame tight ends like Jason Witten and these guys, um, phenomenal players, but it was just a, I think Jason's number was 82 or something like they were just a Jersey number. And I Mm. felt that I could impose my will on that other person. And so I never, I never worried much. Um, I never like, you know, your freshman year, your first time running out in front of 97,000 people, like it's hard to control your heart rate a little bit, but I always say like, so if going back to into this is like how that meditation came about. Remember the third part we talked about visualizing success today. Mm Mm-hmm. So sophomore year, we're playing South Carolina uh, and a guy named Lou Holtz was a coach at that time at South Carolina, a Hall of Fame coach. And we're watching film that week and South Carolina liked this short yardage situation. They ran this one formation a lot out of. And, you know, you're 19 years old, you're in the hotel the night before, you're chatting with your girlfriend, et cetera, you're watching film. And I can remember this play for whatever distinct reason and short yardage. And all of a sudden it's the fourth quarter couple minutes left in the game. South Carolina is driving in our territory. If they get the first down, they likely win. If we, if we stop them, we win. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, there's 90 something thousand people screaming in the stands fourth and one or so, something like that. And I saw them come out in that formation and everything went still. Mm. Everything went silent. I could see the blades of the grass I could see like the blood, like the blood on the offensive lineman, the tight ends' hands, how heavy they were. I could see the pupils of the eyes of the fullback. Everything slowed down, like still. And before the ball was snapped, I jumped the gap, hit the ball carrying the backfield. Crowd goes wild. We win the game. We go back into film the next day, and my linebacker coach was like, "I have no idea how the hell you knew that was happening, but I totally took credit for it. Good job. How'd you know that was happening?" And I was like. I saw it happen before it happened. And so that was my first proof that visualization worked because mm-hmm. I did it the night before in the hotel room. 
And so now I use that practice in my morning meditation to set up my day for business, to set up my day for life. I got chills of you describing that scenario. And that's like the dream scenario, right? Especially yeah. on the defensive side of the ball, like to be the guy that performs and make that play. What I love the tie into the visualization practice and what you led us through today is I think it's not to your point, it's not just seeing it, but feeling it too. Because the when we can feel what that actually feels like, it becomes way more likely to be attracted and called into reality, right? Um, so I love that added piece there. I think it's huge. When did that develop for you? The meditation or? Just that, that connection of like, maybe it's not just seeing it, but it's also feeling, feeling it. it. Yeah. So I think that was my first step into the power of the mind mm. when I was about 19, 20 years old in that moment. But I didn't really know what to do with it other than it really helped. Right? Yeah. Imagine as an athlete now, if you could take a football team and imagine if you had, you know, there's roughly 40 something guys on scholarship on defense, 40 on offense in, in college. What if one game, what if every game, just one of those players made one of those plays? If you're an elite level program like Florida, you likely never lose a fucking game yeah, because that play is made. It's usually one play here and there, and you never know what that play is. But if you had a room of 40-something guys going through that practice, and just one of them could step into that moment when his number was called, you may never lose a game. Yeah. that's, that's and, But I think the same thing can be applied. Like, let's say you're in business and you have a sales meeting. You have sales goals you want to hit. What does it feel like to close that deal? Step into that moment before it happens. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think that's – Look, like athletes are so used to that level of preparation in the sports setting, but we struggle to see how that translates to the, the sales call or whatever it is we're doing now, at least in my experience. Like I was like, well, I know how to swim really hard for the practice but and prepare for meet, but you have, I was going to You have to stuff. give an athlete structure for the most. You have to give people, mm. people need a structure, a formula. I think that's why that four-part meditation works. Mm. I could have told you to sit there and breathe, right? And maybe that would work for some people, but the majority of us need a structure. And so that's why those four parts that we do in that morning, that meditation kind of guides people along and sets them up for that final stage of being present and being consistent with that. The mind I always say is just like any other muscle. It's just like your glutes. Mm. You want to get your glutes strong. You have to consistently work them. Today, you may have just scratched the surface of it, of the, your first meditation. Uh, you've meditated before, but for those listening, you just scratch the surface and you keep doing that consistently every day after a couple months, things start to open up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, like the power of meditation really becomes to your point earlier, you become the observer of what's going on. And so many of us aren't comfortable sitting still, especially the athlete population, right? Yep. Because I mean, for how long of your life was it, if I wasn't doing something football related, moving the needle forward there, that day was looked at as, wow, what a, a waste of a day. Like I could have used today getting better towards that goal. How do you navigate now understanding like a yoga is exactly what I need. A nap can be exactly what I need. Like that's what I needed yesterday yeah. was a two hour nap. Uh, in the middle of the day and people hear that it's, it was, right. I took that on a Friday and I was like, yeah. this is perfect. How did you start to honor like what your body and mind did needed? 
So it's interesting. We talked about before, uh, I typically take like a 10 minute nap every day mm-hmm. after my first meal. And I think there's a part of, I, <laughs> I've never really given a shit what other people thought. Other people thought. So like mm-hmm. I can remember being at Merrill Lynch and I'd go to the conference room sometimes after lunch and would lay down in my suit for 10 minutes. And occasionally people walk in and be like, is Todd, is that fucking guy, is he lazy? What is he doing? I never really gave a shit. I knew that that 10 minute nap mm-hmm. made me better. Whether other people, it resonated with them or they had the courage to do it or not. Like mm. that made me better. Um, and then I also think one of the struggles over the years, I've had to build in systems as an entrepreneur because there is no season. Mm. Right. So you can easily get burnt out. Like you could work, like if you love what you do, you could work seven days a week. And then you start to understand that you can actually do less and be more productive. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. Then you also have to build in seasons. So uh, that was a burp there, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it was a good burrito. Excuse great, great burrito. Um, so one of the things I enjoy with the, the current frame is the, is the seasons that I've built in my, in my business, meaning mm-hmm. that we run these challenges every so often, a couple of times a year. And that's like a season for us. It's a mm-hmm. lot of work that goes into that challenge. And then afterwards, we get people onboarded. We welcome them into our system. We make sure they're taken away. And then I take a week off. All right? And I, t- I don't look at social media for a week. I don't work for a week. Mm-hmm. I just read, work out, unplug. And so I build in these breaks. And it, I think that's one thing as an entrepreneur is that there's always something to do. And there's so many different distractions that you've got to build in seasons of breaks. I love it. And like the the strength training background in me, like here's that. And I'm a firm teacher of this and practitioner of this myself. I look at it as just progressive overload. And exactly. like you have, to, like you ramp up what you're taking on for this challenge. And I'm, I'm sure that like month that you're like in pre-launch, launch mode, yep. like enrollment and get them going. And then it's like, okay, let's like release all that tension. Yep take the week off. I'm the same way. I try to, I plan out my, the seasons of my business and then I book a trip like that. I usually typically start my coaching programs on a Monday and I'm on a plane on Tuesday. Like recently I was just down in Brazil for that exact reason was like, look, kickoff call Monday, Tuesday I'm on a flight and like I'm sitting on the beaches of Rio unplugged, disconnected for a little while. And I think it's, it's understanding that time and energy management in particular. I think so much of it is energy management. I think you just hit it on the head. And that's one of the things I've found is how can I be most productive mm-hmm. um, in managing my energy? That's how I look at working out now is what can I do to give me energy for the day? And what I found is that for me and for it seems work from a lot of or thousands of our clients is that something short and fast they can be consistent with mm-hmm. uh, and then they can start their day. If I go do two or three hours anymore, it starts to tax me a little bit. I have to over, I have to eat a little bit more to refuel. Um, I can't be consistent with that. It's fine on vacation, but I can't be consistent mm-hmm. with that in everyday life. And so for me, working out just allows me the energy and the mindset to go and attack the day business-wise. And I think going back to the seasons, as you start to build your teams, it's one thing that I've learned the hard way is I burnt through a lot of good, really good people over the years just because... I was a workaholic mm-hmm. and I expected my team to be workaholics. Well, then they're working for you. They don't necessarily, they may 
like you. They may like your commission. You may be nice to them, but they have lives too. Mm -hmm. They have a kid, they have a husband, et cetera. And you can't expect them to work at your payload when they work with you. And so learning also to manage your team and give them built-in breaks and incentives to take breaks. Mm -hmm. And then like I've found interesting the last couple of years is less is more. Mm. It's better to have your team do, for example, always working, always overload, doing a few scheduled launches and then taking the time to review those launches, just like you would watch film, mm-hmm. right? And then give them a break. Don't do anything with TMAC Fitness other than what we have to get out for like our weekly email. Other than that, don't look at an email. Don't look at a text from me. Don't do anything regarding TMAC Fitness. Take this t- seven to 10 days off of your family. Come back, ready to go. I love how that's coming from like the leadership down, obviously coming from you down makes it a lot easier. (laughs) I'm looking back at like my own experiences, right? Like when I was in sales or more recently, like doing the more traditional um, personal training route, like in a gym, like it becomes very hard to justify taking off that time because all of a sudden you feel like you're letting down those clients that you have. And from a financial standpoint, you look at it and you're like, well, if I'm not in the gym training them, I'm not getting paid. paid. So yeah. then I start to look at it. It's like, well, if I'm not getting paid, but then I'm I'm spending $500 here. And now it's like a $1,000 swing. Like I'm never taking time off. So I think it's, it's really interesting when from a top down perspective, people get that, leaders get that. And I think that's super unique about your company. Well, it's hard too, right? Because I totally get it, right? So I did private training for nine years in LA mm-hmm. and I, you know, my family lived in Florida and I would go back to them. This is, I was building this the online business on the side. It's mm-hmm. a side hustle. I didn't take money from it for like three, almost four years. Um, just produce content. And I would tell my family, because my only living was personal training. I was like, you do realize how much I love you, right? Because when I come home, I'm not getting paid. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think that, again, what my clients would appreciate was I was always once or twice a year doing some sort of continuing education. Mm. I would, and, and come to find out, it ended up helping me in this career. It's like, you, I'm either studying yoga, I'm studying a little bit of animal flow, uh, I'm studying this type of training, I'm studying boxing. And then you can bring those back to your clients. And I had my clients for years. And I think one of the big things was that was I was able to, for this season, we'd box. For this season, we'd do yoga. For this season, we would do athletic training. Mm. And so most trainers, I feel like they have their six to eight week block and it's the same thing over and over. And then eventually everyone fucking gets tired of it. Mm -hmm. But it costs so much to lose a client. You don't want that. You want to keep that retention as high as possible. And to keep one of the things that's going to help with that retention is to vary your skill sets. Well, you're not going to vary your skill sets if you're training nine people a day Every single day, you have to take time off to unplug and you also have to take time on to continue to educate yourself. So what I found was as opposed to training nine clients a day, yes, I could make a ton of money, but if I trained four clients a day, then I could go take this bar class, which I had no desire to learn bar, but come (laughs) to find out there was a few poses in there that I could put to help my clients. Mm -hmm. And so those things ended up paying huge dividends over the years as yeah. I started programming things differently. Yeah, and I noticed on your bookshelf upstairs you have Carol Dweck's mindset book, and that I think is the prime example of her growth mindset. Right, mm-hmm. like it's always being open to growing and expanding. And I think that's why I wanted to sit down and have this discussion with you is because 
I noticed immediately like you epitomize that and it shows up. Um, I think that's amazing uh, that you're consistently trying to grow and consistently looking to shake things up and make it exciting, not just for your own life, but for the people that have chose to work with you Mm -hmm. as well. It says a lot about you. I think it goes a lot too back to service. Like Mm -hmm. it really gets to, you know, like we were talking briefly about this when we had brunch. I was like, this personal training business now is like kind of a sexy thing. People want to get into Mm -hmm. it. 10 years ago, I assure you that when I took all my suits to goodwill and told my parents I was no longer going to be a financial advisor, that I was going to be a personal trainer, they thought I was crazy, (laughs) right? But it comes to like, I knew that if I worked at this skill set, that I could be pretty good at it. Actually, I thought I could be really good at it. Mm -hmm. And that my heart was in serving my clients. And so if your heart is in servicing your clients, I think it is up to you to one, show up in a good mindset every day and two, to continually be working on your craft because you know, you'll never arrive, but you can bring new things to them to help, help them have a better day. How did you get okay with walking away from finance? Because it was tough. Uh, it was a dark, I say a dark, (laughs) it's all relative, right? Yeah. But as you guys know, um, the finance world is typically a lavish lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? So you go from the fancy, you know, as we talked about earlier, the fancy meals, the, you know, the nice scotch to all of a sudden now I'm eating dinner. Uh, I could get Trader Joe's. They, at the time they sold the ahi tuna steaks for $2 and like 19 cents, I think together. And then some brown rice. So I factored that if I bought brown rice in bulk, I could eat dinner for about $2.40 or so a day. And then I could eat leftovers, that extra filet for lunch the next day. And that was a change. Mm. I couldn't really fly back home to go see people that I wanted to. I couldn't take the trips that my buddies that were still working, making a lot of money were doing. I couldn't do those things. That was a, that, trust me, that was there, Mm -hmm. but I'd never felt more alive. I hadn't Mm. felt alive like that since playing football. Where did, I don't want to say the permission, but where did you feel, like, did you have to, obviously you had to give yourself permission first to go out and feel that. Was there any discussion with your parents? Like you said, like, I'm going to go turn in the suits to Goodwill and pursue this. Like, what was that conversation like? I I was always, you know, my parents are good loving folks, but I was, you know, I kind of sort of learned early in life to kind of make my own choices and I would mm. learn from them. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, you know, my family are good old Southern folks. They all live on one dirt road or none of them worked in finance or anything like that. You know, they hunted deer and, you know, worked at local, local teachers and stuff. And so they were just good folks. Um, I think for me, um, when I look at, behavioral change like what's going to really push someone out of their way of doing their everyday life mm-hmm. and it's the same thing now that i look at my business like why is someone going to enter their credit card and buy my program and it's what i asked you guys earlier was what pain are they moving from mm-hmm. and what are they running to so for me the pain of going into the office and again i had a lot of great colleagues at merrill lynch showing up on a Saturday, being the only one there. I, the pain of that, I think I felt more than everyone else. Mm. They were fine doing nine to five Monday through Friday or just living for the weekend. 
And as an athlete, for those of you listening, you know that's not how your fucking world works, right? Because Saturdays we were always in a you know playing. Friday we were in a hotel. Sunday we were taking care of our bodies, rehab, film. I didn't mind working, but I knew that I couldn't continue to put in that type of effort for something that didn't light up my soul. Mm. And so I just leaned into that. I didn't really know. I'd never in a million years thought I'd be doing yoga. I never in a million. I can barely turn on the fucking internet, much less run an internet company. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of leaned into what felt true to who I was, understanding that not everyone's going to understand that or you, and that's okay. Yeah, and I, <laughs> we touched on it earlier, right? Like, I think coming from the athletic population, there's this understanding of like, I know you know how to work hard you know, I know how to work hard, but it has to be the right structure and the right goal in mind to work hard towards. Otherwise we, I mean, we can do it for periods of time, like no questions asked because we have that blind trust in a coach, right? Forever where you're like, all right, he's got a bigger plan. Like I'm just gonna put my head down and work. But over time, like if you don't start to see that bigger picture yourself and feel that, you're going to feel disconnected and frustrated. So, so for those listening, what you'll see if you come from the athletic world um, and you're in, say, a, you're in the working space now, what you'll start to see when I saw this a lot was every couple years, your friends will start to move careers. They'll jump from one medical sales company to another. And if you ask them why, just to make more money. Mm. If you ask them why they make this move every three or four, and every and now all of a sudden they're drinking that extra drink of whiskey at night. They're sleeping in a little bit the next day. They've lost the connection that they had with their college girlfriend. That's now their wife. They've lost it. They're not as present with their kids. Now they've put on 30 pounds. I don't think it's, it's a sub, I think it's almost like a subconscious choice Mm. that when we don't lean into our God given gifts, it starts to pull us away in a different avenue. Right? So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's tough because when you have these, you know, I feel like, Again, corporate is, I think everyone should probably go into corporate right out of college to learn skill sets, but be careful that they're not giving you kind of the golden bracelet, so to speak. Here's a Rolex. If you hit this sales goal, Mm. here's, you can buy this Porsche. Is that going to really fucking make a difference when you're lying on your deathbed and you're like, what are they going to say about you? He hit his sales goals. Or are they going to say like, he made a fucking, he made me happy when I walked in the room. Mm. I always had a smile. Like what is really going to make your life fulfilled? I don't know what that looks like for everyone listening, but lean into that. What drives you? Like for me, it's impact. Is that similar? Yeah. For me, it goes back to my faith, right? Is Mm. that I think that every human being from the man sitting in the exec or the woman sitting in the executive seat to the, to the janitor sweeping the floor, right? My family's got more in common with the janitor sleeping in the floor than we do the executive. So I know that those people, Mm I think we all have a gift and we all have a role to play. And then it's our job uh, and to work on our craft. If it's shining shoes, be the best shoe shiner. Take those gifts and be of service to your fellow brothers and sisters. That, I think, makes us connected. I think that makes life worth living. Um, it, that's my why. I love that. I think it it really ties into this like, understanding your superpower, like what makes you, you and what makes you super unique. And if you can find that answer and find ways to let that shine through in your daily actions, like you're golden, like that's the quote unquote secret to a fulfilled life, a happy lifestyle as you have identified that superpower and you find ways to just 
let that shine in the right areas. And I think it's something you said earlier, right? Is I always do try to put and as mm-hmm. opposed to or, mm-hmm. right? So there's often this idea that, oh, you're going to go teach yoga and be this food. How are you going to pay your fucking mortgage? No, mm-hmm. you can be a rock star yoga teacher and still make a good fucking living, but you have to really be good. Yeah. And that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of effort. And I think going back is what I found is usually it takes about eight years or so, I think, to work in a single domain to really get good. Mm-hmm. You can figure things out in the first couple of years, but to really get good, it takes around, I found around eight years. Like even though I've been training my whole life, I wasn't a really good trainer until about eight years in. Mm-hmm. I'd worked with people from Olympians to everyday mom and dads, understanding different dietary needs, understanding different movement needs, understanding different lifestyles, understanding what sleep cycles. These are things that take time. And I feel like most people never spend because they don't have a true connection to their deep source of meaning and why, and see how work ties into that, every three or four years, they chase the Rolex to the other company mm-hmm. and they lose those skills. They don't necessarily lose all of them, but it takes time to work in one domain to get really good at it. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said. <laughs> like I always tell people, especially early on in that transition out of sport, like get okay with being a beginner again. Yep. Like some of us are going to be naturally good at stuff. Like you might've not quote unquote naturally been good at football, but still there was a level of dedication and time and experience that needed to go into it before you were starting linebacker. You know, like I love swimming with you and Horton. I love that. Like you guys are both collegiate swimmers and obviously it was obviously I was not a collegiate swimmer. Yeah. But I love getting out there and like you're a beginner again. It makes you like go back to how can I, it's that beginning and learning process of mm-hmm. like, what are these guys doing? How are they're actually kicking their feet? What, what are they like? How do they turn their shoulders? Yeah. I don't know. I, I find that interesting. I find that fascinating. Yeah. I think it's this element of there's, there's curiosity and wonder there um, versus this like anxiety and feeling this pressure of like getting frustrated because you're not good at it. You know what I mean? And I think I personally try to do something at least daily that challenges Mm -hmm. that comfort zone, that challenges me of like, oh, like, for example, I went down to a workout and we went through a NFL combine, like lifting program. I was like, Jesus, like this is nothing. Obviously, like I was used to be training. I was told in college that I needed to avoid weights at all costs because I was a distance swimmer. I needed to stay super thin. So the idea of me like doing four second eccentric bench press, like just foreign to me. Right. Um, Or doing that after running these different kinds of sprints and a skips might come naturally to you, but to me, I'm like, that's a lot of coordination that I don't have. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I feel lit up and excited by it. Um, and I think that's the biggest key, well, right? Like getting excited about, wow, I might look stupid right now. You have but to let go of the it. ego. Mm. You have to let go of the ego. So much times, like you're used to being really good in your domain, but you've got to learn. Like I always say that like, when you're training people, it's, you know, we were talking about our friend Caroline swimming. Like, did you learn a lot of swimming from Caroline? Caroline forgets so many things before I need to like, you have to work. You have to learn to go back to being a beginner mm. and to see what that A skip feels like. Okay. And, you, and keep that in mind when you're teaching someone else how to swim, mm-hmm. right? Like breaking down those steps. And it makes you, I think when you I always say like each quarter, I try to learn a new skill set. 
mm-hmm. or go back to a skill set. So like this quarter may be focused to be more on yoga. Next quarter may focus on boxing. I'm not, I'm not great at either of those things, but I'm, I'm learning enough about them that it makes me to have that beginner mindset, which overall makes me a better teacher. Yeah. And I'm sure the, the clients that you work with appreciate that because they see this freshness to it and it gives them this opportunity to be a beginner as well and, and learn something new. And there's something exciting about that that lights you up inside. I always tell people, like, think back to why you first started whatever sport you chose to commit to yep. for that amount of years. Like, what lit you up about it? If you can find ways to bring that into what you're doing now, you're golden. Like, life's going to be great. So, here's a question for you. Um, so, you, I think we were about 10 years younger, we said, than mm-hmm. I am. What is it the biggest challenge that you see former athletes now coming out of school um, struggling with? Because I, I do feel that y'all are more, y'all are further along the lines than I think the majority of us were as far as asking those questions of meaning and impact and what does, what's going to bring me fulfillment. Uh, like I said earlier, I think most of us were just easily entrapped into just going and making a living and, pay, and paying the bills and then marrying our girl mm-hmm. we were dating in college. What is the biggest struggle that you see out there? It's a good question. It's hard to pinpoint just one. But I think what it really boils down to is finding the right outlets to put your efforts into. Um, Like for me personally, I thought it was refinancing mortgages was Mm -hmm. the first thing. And I worked my tail off at it. I was going into those extra Saturdays yep. and I think it wasn't the right thing for me mm-hmm. and a lot of people aren't taking a pause to recognize what does success actually mean to them mm-hmm. and their core values, not what does it mean to these external influences in our lives like our parents or our friends our coaches, like what have you, but people are starting to understand, like I can answer that question for myself. And when I do that, then everything opens up and we, we invite this flow state, like you touched on earlier of things slow down. Like you can see heart, you can see the pupils and the heartbeat, like, and the hard stuff becomes easy, but flow state only is really possible when we're understanding that higher purpose, that higher power. So I think it's the biggest struggle for people coming out right now is getting clear on what success actually means to them and is in alignment with their core values because there's these external influences now that quite honestly didn't exist to the extent that they do now of like the social media. It's like, it's so easy to get caught up in this comparison game of well, Todd's got 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers on Instagram. Like he's absolutely killing it. And I'm over here just like barely getting by like, holy crap. Like I'll never be where he's at. But if we can flip it to like, well, one wide identify, why would I want that large impact? And two, what if I celebrate what you're doing and take the pieces that I like and start to implement it with my own unique style on it. And then all of a sudden, like there's now this and also for both of us rather than this competitive 
mindset that we've had for so long of it's it's me versus you mm-hmm. and only one of us can win it's that's not a, <laughs> a successful like sustainable mindset in the real world but it's the mindset that's been instilled in us in sport yeah. for so so long no i think I, I love that mindset of, of going in with learning and wanting to share, you know, it looks back. So before COVID, uh, we used to have models in all of our videos, mm. a guy and a girl. And a lot of the times, the majority of those people in the models were my fellow trainers mm-hmm. and I would highlight their businesses. And people would always ask, why are you plugging other people's businesses on your fitness platform? And it was, for me, it was just like, this is, I'm not in competition. Mm-hmm. Like I am doing what God chose for me to do. There is an abundance here. Mm-hmm. I want to see these, my brothers and sisters also thrive. And I look back now, 10 years later, they're sending people in their different phases in life and they're sending their customers mm-hmm. to our online platform. And, but my intention was simply to lift them up and to highlight yeah. cool people doing cool things. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. I think, uh, <laughs> I laugh like at my last quote unquote real job. Um, like as a tr- trainer in that private space, like I understood who I worked really well with and who I could serve. And I understood even more so who I couldn't. Yep. And I would, I would get potential new clients that would come to me that wouldn't fit like who I would actually help or didn't light me up with working with them. And I'd pass them off to other trainers. Yep. And it was so funny to see uh, some other trainers reaction would be like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, you're going right. to just give yeah. me, like, they wanted to work with you. Why That's would you great. give them to me? And I was like, I understood where my energy yep. would be if I took them on versus not having them. And I, it's that abundance well, approach. Absolutely. I think, huge. I think which we touched on earlier is that I measure, I look at my time and my day on energy output mm-hmm. as opposed to time management. It's more like energy management. And you understood that those certain clients are going to more likely, even though they'll pay you good money, drain your energy. Mm -hmm. You're better off giving those to other people, let them, you know, meet their needs. um, And then you lifting and trying to work and harness on that demographic that, you know, you feel fulfilled serving. Yeah. It's like those clients that you're like, start to question, well, are they a client of mine? Like, am I, am I helping them physically or am I their freaking therapist? Because all they're coming to me is yep. telling me like well, part, what went wrong. A personal trainer is part therapy. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. It's a unique one. And I, I love that connection to energy management because I think if we can start to switch our viewpoint to understanding how can we better manage our energy, the time management aspect becomes a way easier solution, right? Because we have this abundance of energy and we can get more done in a 30 minute window when we're super intentional and focused versus four hours of like, well, like maybe I'll do this. How do you laser focus and lock in for your windows or what's your structure look like there? Well, I think Tuesday is dedicated um, being intentional with your breaks. So, for example, we talked about my basic structure every day is not going to change. It's 365 days a year. doesn't matter if I'm on vacation or you guys are coming up here or whatever. I'm going to move and connect my body first thing mm-hmm. before social media, before emails. That fills my cup. I'm in a good headspace, good mindset. I'm connected to my spiritual practice. Any input that comes at that point, whether it's work, stress, Whatever stress, family, relationships, I can filter in a positive mindset. That's my base. Mm-hmm. That fuels me. And then throughout the one of the things I've done over the years is the end of each day, 
I take 10, 15 minutes and what I'll make a list. It used to be like 15 things. Then I went to seven. <laughs> now it's down to five. I'm trying to get down to four. What are the four most important things to get done the next day? Mm-hmm. And I write those down. And if one of those top five is always work out first thing. So I can, so I can go ahead and cross that out. As soon as I sit down at my desk, I've already crossed off one. Momentum has now built. Mm. Then number two is the most critical thing that I have to get done that day. That is the one I tackle first because of my peak state of energy. And I've created that peak state of energy by moving and connecting to my spiritual practice. Right. And so that's what I tackle. And then the question then becomes is how do you know what is that most critical thing? Well, that takes time, meaning going back to reflecting to your goals. How do you want to achieve your goals? And that means you have to take some time to look and set and to plan. Mm-hmm. And so Sunday nights, I sit down for 45 minutes. What are the most actionable steps, the most important things we got to get done this week? Well, how does it determine what's the most important things to get done that week? Well, I set aside time each quarter to set aside quarterly goals. Mm-hmm. Well, then what's the most important things to get done that quarter? Well, I set aside every like, twice a year. And then once, so you have to back it up and be intentional with setting your goals. And then when you do that, don't get me wrong, every entrepreneur struggles with doing too many ideas, too many things. It's always a struggle, but getting to that one thing that's going to move the needle in your business and being intentional with tackling that first thing. Mm. I love that. Who says preparation from the football days doesn't translate to. I I got a business business degree from the University of Florida, no knock on Florida. I don't use shit of that. I learned everything I do now from my football days. I love that. I love that. And I, I love the intention behind each piece of that. Um, and I feel like we can riff on this for hours and hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. Another conversation, another day. It will, this will definitely be a part two um, at some point, but I, I want to ask you the fast five questions. Okay. Well, a little, got... little rapid fire here to uh, keep you on your toes. No prep we, here wrap things up. So they're one sentence or one word answers. The first question is what's your go-to podcast? What are you jamming out to these days? Mm, go-to podcast. Um, I'm trying to teach myself ads. So Emily Hirsch, I think Hirsch marketing is the ad is the podcast I'm going to for that specific reason. This quarter, my goal is to focus on trying to teach myself ads. So I'm going to hers. Growth mindset at work, baby. I love it. Number two, what's favorite book that you've read in the past year? I saw you have a an eclectic collection up yeah. there. I'm usually balancing like a, a business one and then a personal one. Mm-hmm. Um, the business one right now I'm reading is really good. Entrepreneurship 2.0. Um, it's like a revisit to his former work and they wrote years ago. And I feel like it's one of those time classics that they've kind of revised. That's a really uh, it. Um, as a solo entrepreneurship 2.0. I love it. What's a, a quote you live by? Mm. Do you see this one right here? It's a long one. Go it's, ahead. It's a Go long, ahead and read it's a it long one. Us. I'm going to read it for you. So it's a Roosevelt quote. A friend made it for me. So it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the re- arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly for whoever, who errs, who comes up short again and again, and because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, who knows great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, and who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst 
If he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So this his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. I'm glad you got that as a print and not as a tattoo like on your <laughs> cage because that would be a, a long one. <laughs> I, I memorized all of that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I do have the one tat that says my brother's keeper. I can remember that one. There you go. That's all you need. Um, number four is what's one thing you can't live without? Mm. Movement. Beautiful. Spoken like a true athlete at yeah. heart there. Number five is what's your one word focus at this point in time? Mm. One word uh, focus. Team. Beautiful. Beautiful. You come from a team sport background. Not swimmers, not so much. We could care <laughs> less about other people. <laughs> you go further together, brother. I love it. I love it. Where where can those listening in obviously get more of Todd, more of TMAC Fitness? Yeah, it Keep dep- up with depending everything. on when you're listening to this, we got. Uh, I'd love for you to join us for one of our 20-day challenges. This is kind of a deep dive into mind, body, spirit, where we take you through 20 days of movement, nutrition, and mindfulness. I think it's it's literally trained, uh, helped transform thousands of people's lives. If that's going on when you when you listen to this, love for you to join us for that. If not, there's always 10 free days of home workouts you can try. You don't have to enter a credit card. And also the meditation that we spoke of briefly, the Mind Right Meditation, is there. You can click, and it's on YouTube, uh, and that's completely free. And I would encourage all of you that have a great movement pattern, workout, whatever you like to do, just have it stack and do this meditation immediately after the workout. I think you'll find it's a great way to implement meditation into your everyday life. Yeah, it's all about that habit stacking. Todd, I want to just take a second to acknowledge you, man. One, for the hospitality. Um, I appreciate you and just the way that you show up and the way that you serve in this world is second to none. So thank you for being you. This is a great time, man. Appreciate to our friend uh, Lauren Schwab. Yeah, putting this beautiful. Together. All right, brother. Appreciate you taking the time to listen today. As you can hear and see, you don't need all the time in the world to make lasting, impactful change. All you need to do is just start prioritizing yourself. Share this episode with a friend, family member, or teammate who could benefit from hearing Todd's message. Remember, we all grow further together. And if you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action at a time. I will see you all on Monday.